oh, this is terrible. How are we going to do it if we don't even know it? Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. And, and as you said, all you've got to do is love God and love people. I thought, oh, yes, we should. Maybe we should, we should know it before we can do it. <laughs> I think I'm going to start every message with loving God, loving people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can come into your presence. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. Lord, that you love us more than we can even begin to imagine. Lord, thank you that you loved us enough that you wanted to show yourself to us. Lord, that you wanted us to know you as God. Father, thank you that we know you. Thank you that that you sent your son Jesus fully God, that we could know you. Lord, and you promised when you said, Lord Jesus, you said to your disciples that if we have seen you, that we have seen the Father. And and you promised that you would give us your Spirit. And and through your Spirit, we would know you and know the Father and be in you as you are in, in the Father. And the Father is in you and you're all in us. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that we are not alone in this universe, but that you are God and that you are good and that you're for us. Lord, thank you also that you know us. You made us, but, but you've experienced what it is to be us. Because, Lord, our life is full of joys and wonders and sorrows and heartaches and trials and temptations. And you know. Thank you, Jesus, that, that as Matt was assaulted this last week, that you were right there and that you... You know what it's like to be beaten. Thank you also, Jesus, that, that as we celebrate birthdays, that you too were there at parties as people celebrated joyous occasions. And you celebrated. Lord, I, I, I thank you that you are here. And I ask that right now you would help us to to understand you better, Jesus. You are our King. You are the one who has rescued us. You are the one who has saved us and promised to bring us to the Father. But but please help us to know you better and to understand more fully who you are. And I do pray that, Jesus, as we look at your life and as we look at your person and as we look at who you are, that, that this would reflect in who we are, that the world will look at us and know that we are your followers. Spirit, please open our hearts and our minds and our ears and and please even speak through my mouth today. For your glory, Jesus, and for the Father's honor. Amen. This is going to be another one of those uh, sermons today where we're going to be bouncing around through the Bible a little bit because we're we're doing the last of our two-part series on the person of Jesus. As you remember, last week we looked and we said, when we see Jesus, we see what it means to be God. We see Jesus, we see God. We cannot know God the Father more fully than to know Jesus the Son. And this is actually true 
um, this side of eternity and the other side of eternity because Jesus and the Father are just like, you can't have one without the other. Um, if we know Jesus, then we know the Father. If we have seen Jesus, then we know God. And isn't just, it's just amazing, 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 amazing that God would, would show himself to us. But what I want to focus on today is, is the, the other part of who Jesus is. So, so we can say, and we asked on the bulletin last week, is Jesus God? And we said, yes, he is. Uh, and here's why. And if you remember, we said the, the real reason, if somebody says to us, how do you know that Jesus is God? Um, uh, our answer from the Bible is, well, because Jesus said he was God, and God proved it by raising him from the dead. So that, that's how we can, somebody says to you, is Jesus God? You say, yes, he said so, and God proved it when he raised him from the dead. And I promise that at some stage we will do a sermon on the resurrection um, and, and how, you can, how you can address people who ask you, well, prove that the resurrection happened. Okay, but, but what about people who say, well, this Jesus bloke, yeah, really God? Are you trying to tell me that on the cross God died? Come on, get off it. Are you telling me that God, the maker of the universe, who is so big and so great, was a little baby who needed his diapers changed? In fact, they didn't have diapers back then. They probably had cloth nappies, and that's even more disgusting. Glennis bursts into laughter. (laughs) Is... If Jesus is God, is he also fully, completely human? Well, Jesus said so. One of, one of the famous uh, favorite titles that he used for himself is the Son of Man. He kept going around saying the Son of Man this and the Son of Man this and, and the Son of Man that. And, and the Son of Man is, is actually... If you want to be politically correct, it's son of humanity. It's, it's, it's for the, the Hebrew in the New Testament. It relates to the, the Old Testament Hebrew for son of humanity, son of Adam. Adam is a proper name, but it's also the Hebrew word for humanity, for humankind. Jesus said, I am the son of man. I am a human person. He also said he's, he's the son of God. Um, at his trial, they asked him, are you the son of God? And he said, yep. Jesus is, is, we saw last week, God in human form. We see Jesus, we see God. But, but I want to suggest to you this week that, that when we see Jesus, we also see what it truly means to be human. If we want to know what the perfect human life, the way God intends it to be, looks like, we are to look at Jesus. And we're to look at Jesus before his death and resurrection, and then we are to look at Jesus even more closely after his death and resurrection, because there we see Jesus, the risen one, with, with an incorruptible body. Do you, do you know Jesus, the, the Son, is now in, with God in heaven in human form? incorruptible human form, the way we will one day be, and one day He will return, and, and He'll greet us, and, and, and we're not just going to be floating around like spirits, He's going to be there. 
Isn't that amazing? And, and, and so if we want to know what one day God is going to make you and I to be like, we should look at what Jesus is like because Jesus is not only fully human, but I want to say to you the perfect, the, the, it's like the blueprint for what it really means to be human. Let's get some heresies out of the way. Um, most people these days, are, they don't have a problem with saying Jesus was a man. In, in fact, most people, the, the problem most people have is saying that Jesus was God or is God. But, but most people are happy to say Jesus is or was a man. There are those who say that Jesus was just a man. And so I think it's the JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, who speak about Jesus being, or not the JWs, Mormons. Is it the Mormons? It's one of those two. Um, who, who speak about Jesus being born as a normal human person, and then God sort of came and rested on him until just before the cross when God quickly whoops away and the actual man, Jesus, died. In other words, Jesus isn't actually God in who he is. God just used him like a puppet. Drivel. Uh, in fact, we don't have time to read it, but read the whole book of 1 John, because the whole book of 1 John basically is looking at exactly this problem. Uh, and, and anyone who says that is, is not a person of the Christian faith. Uh, 1 John 4, 2, 3 says that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that doesn't isn't from God, but is of the Antichrist. In other words, uh, one of the proofs of, of being a person of, of the faith, of having the Spirit, is saying that Jesus is fully God and fully human, that, that, that the two parts come together in one. Um, other people say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. He was just some high created being. But then he's not really human either. He's kind of like an angel. But the Bible tells us he was born. And he lived a human life. And Jesus himself doesn't say, I'm an angel. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus is higher than any of the angels. What does it mean for Jesus to have been human? What does it mean for God, the divine one, to be human? I think one of the things it means is that he was, he was limited. Ooh, and I hope some of you are looking at me going, oh, God limited? Well, yeah, Jesus was limited. He, he had seven days a week, 24 hours in each day. He had a lifespan. He was born and he died. And then he was resurrected, which is amazing and wonderful. He, he lived in a specific place. He couldn't be everywhere at once. Um, he needed to sleep sometimes. Every now and again in the Gospels, we see Jesus going off to be by himself 
to pray and be with the Father and to rejuvenate. And, and we're told sometimes it's because he's just tired. Jesus couldn't do everything. He had to choose. He healed so many people, Jesus, but, but so many people he didn't heal and so many towns he didn't go to because he had to choose with the time that he had before his death. Jesus developed. It's fairly obvious to say he didn't come from the womb a fully mature adult male. He grew, and in fact, Luke 2 says that, that Jesus, verse 52, it speaks about Jesus growing and maturing and, and getting older. Jesus knew what it was to have human needs. Um, John 4, flick with me quickly over there to John chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We read over there that this is the woman at the Samaritan well and and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was the sixth hour. Here is Jesus, and he's tired and thirsty, because the woman arrives, he's got an ulterior motive, but, but he says to her, draw me some water. And the disciples, meanwhile, have chuffed off to the village to get some food and some drink, because everyone's really hungry, including Jesus. How? It sounds kind of obvious, but just stop and think. This is God. We saw last week, this is God who's tired. The one who has so much power and limitless ability, and he's sitting down, tired, at a well. He had psychological needs. You know that night of his betrayal? He, he had to have his three closest friends close by. And, and when, when they fell asleep instead of praying for him, can't you just hear the hurt in his voice as he says to them, couldn't you, couldn't you just watch with me for one hour? When Jesus, God, eternal, had psychological needs. He, he had spiritual needs. He, he had to take time to be with his father. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 35 is one of those occasions where, where we see Jesus going up into the mountains to pray, sending his disciples off. And so maybe we say to ourselves, well, if Jesus really is God, why didn't he just snap his finger and say, tiredness be gone? Snap his finger and say, Stress be gone. Snap his finger and say, union with God, absolute. Why, why wouldn't Jesus just use his godly power and just be everywhere at once and do everything at once? Why doesn't Jesus just act more like God? I mean, he could have, couldn't he? If, if we say that Jesus is fully God, then at any time Jesus could have called on the reserves of power that is there for God and he could have done whatever he wanted. You remember?
remember when he was going out, at the very start of his ministry, I think it's in Matthew, he goes out to be tempted by Satan, and, and he's hungry. He could have snapped his finger and, and made food for himself. He, couldn't even, he didn't even have to bother snapping his finger. He could have done it, but... And he had the power because he was able to still the storms and feed the multitudes. 5,000 one time, including the woman, probably 10, 15,000. But when it came to himself, he didn't. Because if he had, he wouldn't have been fully human. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2? It says, consider Christ to being in, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and, and, and emptied himself. Basically, refused to take hold of his status as God. Refused to, refused to say, I will just live as God, but said, no, I will take the form of a slave, of a servant, And I will live that way. I will be fully human even though I am God. I will experience everything that it means to be human. I will be tired. I will be homeless. Remember one time somebody asks to follow him and he says, the son of man doesn't even have a roof over his head. Jesus chose to experience true humanity. And that includes and that includes going through times of trial and temptation. Now we've already mentioned how Jesus was led into the desert by Satan to be tempted. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, we, we see Jesus speaking with his disciples and he starts speaking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and how he's going to die and going to be resurrected and And my mate Peter always has the right thing to say. Pipes up and says, shut up, Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus looks at him and and basically calls him out and says, get behind me, Satan. You're putting a temptation in my path. Matthew 26, we, we see him wrestling with the temptation again as the cross draws ever nearer. In Hebrews, if you're still there, turn to chapter 4, verse 15. Just one of those amazing verses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus was so human that he knows what it is to be tempted. Now, you guys might be better than Jesus. Put up your hands if you are and don't know what it is to be tempted and go through trials. Isn't it just so wonderful to know that, that God eternal, who is perfect and good and has never done anything wrong ever, knows what it's like to be tempted? 
But Hebrews 4.15 finishes over there, and it says, um, he knows, um, where is it? He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without, yet he was without sin. And so the question is, was Jesus really tempted? The Bible says he was tempted, but was he really tempted? I think it's fair to say that, that Jesus wasn't enticed by sin the way that we are. What do I mean? Turn quickly to James chapter 1, verse 14. I've written it out, so I'm just going to read it. James chapter 1 verse 14 says that each one is tempted when uh, we are enticed by our own evil desire and dragged away. By our own evil desires, we are dragged away and enticed. Now, if we said last week that Jesus from Nazareth is fully God, then he is not evil and he has no evil desires. So how is it possible for Jesus to be tempted if to be tempted means to be dragged away by our evil desires and then to be enticed by them? I mean, the Bible is quite clear that Jesus wasn't pulled into sin. Jesus never sinned. Um, He was free from, using the old theology words, he, he was free from original sin. He wasn't enticed by evil desires because there is no evil within Jesus. But when is temptation, when do you feel temptation the most strongly? When you're awake. Yeah. You know, I, I am tempted to do a whole bunch of stuff. And most of the time, I don't put up much of a fuss. And I'm willing to bet that that's true for all of you. And the reason is because most of the time I'm not even aware that I'm being tempted. You see, there's a whole lot of work that the Holy Spirit needs to do in my life and in your lives. And the thing that He's focusing on at the moment is the thing that I am most aware of temptation. Is that making sense to you guys? The the thing that, how did I put it here? In the areas where we are especially vulnerable, we don't feel temptations pull much, but where we fight against the temptation, there we feel temptation very much. If we're fighting against something, there we feel the fight the strongest. So if, I don't know, if I'm speeding and I'm not fighting against speeding and I don't think it's a big deal, then I'm just going to speed and it's going to be wah-da-da-da-da. And I don't feel it as temptation. I'm, I'm just doing it. But if, I, if I'm tempted to... Oof, what's a horrible thing? Something else. I can't think of anything at the moment. If I'm tempted to go and kick the cat next door and I really want to kick the cat next door 
and, and I'm fighting against it, and, and, I'm, and it's not a right thing, and I know that I don't want to do it, then I really feel the temptation. It's only when I've decided not to give in to it that the temptation gets stronger. Fortunately, God's Spirit is stronger in us and, and helps us, um, and that's why He gives us His Spirit. But, but what am I saying here? Here is Jesus who, who knows the full fury of temptation because He knows exactly what He is being tempted to do. He knows everything. He, he knows what would happen if He gave in. And so, here is Jesus who stands against Satan completely. And every temptation, therefore, is like the complete temptation. It's, it's temptation to its utmost. Because Jesus stands against evil to its utmost. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, ask me afterwards. Why did Jesus become human. Let's, let's bring it back to us today. Jesus was fully human. He knows what it is to be human. But why did he become human? I want to suggest to you four reasons. And they're quick ones. He became human so that you and I could relate to him. And in a sense, so that he can relate to us. And it's there in, in chapter 4, verse 15 of Hebrews. Jesus knows what it is to be human, and so he can sympathize with us as we struggle to live in the world that we live in. Jesus totally gets what it is to be a human being. And in fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 18, because it's not just some head knowledge that he knows, but chapter 4, verse 18, let's try chapter 2, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he knows it, but, but more than knowing it, because he, he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our situation in the world really touches God's heart, touches Jesus' heart to the point where he actually is able to help us. You know what, this is, this is one of those things which separates Christianity from every other religion, that we have a great high priest who, who is not just God far away from us, but who is God who knows us and has been there. Our God is the messy God. He's not some distant God who is above all of the troubles. What if God was one of us? He was. He is. In, in a majestic way. And, and one day we will be like Him. He, Jesus became human not only so that, so that He can relate to us and intercede for us and help us, but, but, but also so that He can show us how to live. 
I mean, what did Jesus do? Everywhere he went, he went to people and said, Oi, hello, Matthew, Luke. Was it Luke? Yes. Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas. I can never remember all 12 of the names. All of you other guys, come along and, and do what? Follow me. Be my disciples. Matthew 28, right at the end, what does he say? He says, um, uh, go into the world and make disciples. The command, by the way, in the Great Commission is not to go. The command in the Great Commission is to make disciples. And what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to follow after the person that, you're, that, you are, that your teacher is. To be a disciple of someone is to model your life on the life of your teacher. Is to imitate them. 1 Peter 2.21, Peter says exactly that. He says, live your life following in the footsteps of Christ because He is your example. And so Jesus is not only God, but as the human, as the man Jesus, Jesus shows us how we are to live. We, we can't live as gods because we're not God. But we can live as Jesus showed us to live. And part of that, what did he say when somebody asked him, what are the commandments? He said, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And I've inserted a couple of extra words there. But the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if, if people are going to know that you're my disciples, they're going to know it by the way that you love one another. Basically, Jesus said, follow me. Look at my life and live your life this way. And do so in the light of eternity. Because what we will be has already been revealed. You know, I've never been to a fashion show, but I believe every year, my wife will tell me off, I'm sure, because I'll get it wrong now. Every year, Meyer and David Jones have a big parade where they trot out the new lines that are going to come out in a couple of weeks' time. Nadine, is that right? Excellent. And uh, you probably can't go to the shops that week and buy those clothes. But you know that it's coming. And you can see what it's going to be like. And, and that's what's happened with Jesus. When He was resurrected from the dead, there we see the new model of humanity, the way God is going to make us. We are going to be like Jesus. In fact, we're promised that one day we will be like Him. Isn't that incredible? God, you all look so serious. This is amazing stuff. One day we're going to be like Jesus. And, and in Jesus we see everything that God intends for us put on display. We, we see that, that God didn't mean us to be separated from Him, but, but He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. We, we see that, that God didn't make us for death, but He made us for life. And we, we see that, that God didn't made us to be ensnared and trapped and, and in jail to, to sin and temptation, but, but He made us for freedom. We see all of this in Jesus, the resurrected one. One Corinthians fifteen, verses forty nine says. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Have a read of that chapter. It's a great chapter. Just as you and I are like Adam in that we've got stuff, hands and ears and glasses, 
just as we've been like that and that we're human, one day we will be like Jesus, the man from heaven. Goes on in verse 52 and says that when Jesus comes back, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Wow. And we will be changed. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says that when Jesus appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. Wow. Have you been counting? I've, I've given you three reasons why Jesus became human. He became, became human so that he can relate to us, so that he can help us, so that we can relate to God. He came to show us how to live now. He came to show us how we are going to live for eternity if we follow him. In order to link those last two together, he came to save us. Hebrews 2 verse 14. The children, that's us, have flesh and blood. So he too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might destroy them, him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear to death. You see, Jesus being fully human means that Jesus can save us in our human state. See, the problem, the problem is that the offense against God is won by humanity. Humankind have sinned against God. And so if the judgment is to be just, then humankind has to take the punishment. Does that make sense? Humanity must pay for what humanity has done. And so Jesus had to be a human. And he had to be fully a human. Because if Jesus was only 90% human, then only 90% of us would be saved, and there would still be 10% of not saved, and nothing imperfect can be in the presence of God. We saw that last week. And so we would never go to be with the Father. If Jesus was 99.999% human, then he would be able to save 99.999% of me, but that 0.0001% would still be enough that I would never be able to stand in the presence of God the Father. And so if Jesus is not a man, exactly, we've got no hope. But, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, who is fully God, 
not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but taking the form being fully human. I know the maths doesn't quite work where you get fully and fully mean fully, but that's how it is. The Bible, the Bible clearly says he has to be God, but it also says he has to be human, and so he has to be human and God. God the Father and the Spirit was in Christ, reconciling the world that's you and I to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. calling us to follow Jesus now and forever. And Paul finishes 2 Corinthians 5.19 and says, and God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I, I hope that the last couple of weeks have given you something to think about and, and maybe some, some clues about how to answer people who ask you about who Jesus is. It comes down to, to that statement that Jesus is totally human and totally God. Totally God who totally gets us. Totally God who totally saves us. Totally God who totally models and shows us what it is to be totally human. Amen. Stand and sing the final song. Thanks, Pastor Nick, for that rising sermon.